Hi, welcome to Coast Hills Church Weekend Online Sermon by Pastor Chet Lowe. We invite you to attend our services on Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. Our address is 5 Pursuit, Alicia Viejo, California, 92656. We hope to see you soon. God bless. John chapter 6, you're going to see it on the screen behind me, or you're going to see it in the seat back. uh, You can look in your Bible in the seat back pocket in front of you if you did not bring a Bible. John chapter 6, as we continue our study, I'm going to start in verse 14. When the people saw the sign, now remember he's fed the 5,000. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus hadn't yet come to him. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing, and when they had rowed about three or four miles, about halfway uh, through the sea, the sea's seven miles across, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. They were frightened, like all of us would be. But he said to them, now I've underlined this in my Bible, it is I, do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the, ha- at the land to which they were going. Father, we are thankful this morning for your great grace and pray in Jesus' name that as we walk through this scripture, you'd help us to walk on top of the waters of our storms. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you have your seat? We're going to be in a few areas of Scripture today. If you would uh, turn in your Bible to John chapter 6, as we continue to study through the Gospel of John. But we're also going to be in Mark's Gospel chapter 6, as well as Matthew's Gospel chapter 14. Once again, that's John 6, Mark 6, and Matthew 14. Matthew 14. Now, I don't know if you know this about the Jewish faith. In the same way that uh, we in the United States of America have three branches of government, the same, in fact, most early church fathers would say that they took this form of government from the government that God established in the Old Testament. And that government was prophet, priest, and king. There was a prophet, there was a priest, And there was a king, and all three of them would keep each other in balance. And if one was gone astray, the other would come in. So David sinned with Bathsheba, Nathan came in and corrected the problem. It was the form of government that God had established. And so the Messiah would come, and there would no longer need to be this three-structured order of government. No, there would be in one person, both all three, prophet, priest, and king. With this miracle, we can see the people are looking at Jesus and they go, okay, he's the prophet. If you remember your Old Testament, it's 1 Kings chapter 7, and Elijah would miraculously 
provide for the widow at Zarephath. And her, her, her jar of oil would never go dry, and her container of flour would never go dry throughout the entire famine. Or maybe it was Elisha they was thinking of when he told the widow, go and get all of your neighbor, neighbor's vessels and pour as much oil from that one oil thing into those vessels. And that oil kept pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring with all of the vessels until the last vessel was filled and the oil stopped. Well, of course, Jesus has fed them. Jesus has taken care of them. Just like Elisha, just like Elijah, he is a great prophet, so much so. I like his words. I like how he speaks. I like the message that he has. This is the time of Passover. He could be our deliverer. And they, we read in John chapter 6, verse 15, they want to make him king. And quite possibly, in the season of Passover, like God delivered us, could you deliver us from the Roman Empire? But they're missing one be on the screen behind me. You don't need to turn there. I'll read it for you. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14. Listen, let us therefore strive to enter the rest, so that no one may, excuse me, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. They had got prophet, they had gotten king, but they had not understood priests yet. Oh, no longer offering the sacrifice of a lamb to atone for the sins of the people. You remember John the Baptist, this is the Lamb of God. He would offer himself as the great high priest who could sympathize with our weakness because not only was he God, and not only is he God, but he was human, and he was tempted at all points. He would be tempted can you imagine? They want to make him king. Just imagine what was going on in his mind. Wait a second. The throne without the cross. Now, to me, that's a great temptation. To me, that sounds like a great idea. That sounds like a better option. First of all, I am so proud of Lisi right now. Anyone that can keep up with me... <laughs> It is unbelievable. You guys, let's give it up for Lucy. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at her, and she's not missing a beat. Like, I, I, this is incredible. You are a gifted woman from the Lord. And let me say as a church how thankful we are that you're here. And as our team gets ready to head out to Uganda, she's, trans, she's interpreting this as I go. I love it. As our team gets ready to head, thank you for letting us know that this is a people group that we need to meet and we need to reach. Amen? Amen. 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 The throne without the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a better option to me. And here they are, and they want the crowd. They want to make him king. But Jesus? Jesus wouldn't have it. He knew that there needed to be a sacrifice. But the disciples? <laughs> the disciples are more like me. They're thinking, king. I like it. Matthew's thinking, chief finance minister. 
okay? Peter is thinking viceroy, okay? They're already arguing about who's going to be the right and the left. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. I asked you to put your finger there. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. I want you to see what Jesus does. Would you look with me at verse 45? Immediately, Mark picks up the rest of the story for us. He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Now I want you to underline your Bible, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. I love Jesus. The Bible says that he will not give us anything more than we can handle. He won't give us a test that he knows that we cannot handle, and he knew that the disciples could not handle this test. He knew that they wanted a kingdom, and so he gets them out of there. He makes them go. In other words, they're showing some resistance. They don't want to get in the boat. And let me tell you why. If I was a disciple, I remember the first storm. This is storm number two, okay? And if you remember, Jesus made them get into a boat on storm number one. They didn't know they were going to a storm. But if Jesus is making me get into another boat, if I was a disciple, I'd be a little skeptical myself. So he's pushing them. You need to go into the boat. He's making them get out into the boat. And this time, a little bit different than the storm number one. Storm number one, they were there with him. He was there with them in the boat. But this storm that they don't know that they're going to, oh, this particular boat ride, they're being sent on their own. They're being sent without Jesus in the boat. But in his wisdom, He knew that that storm was safer than dismissing the crowd. I'm a pastor. I understand this. Do you have any idea what it's like to dismiss you all out in the foyer? I understand this. With all of your wonderful opinions. Now, just imagine Jesus going into the crowd, okay? With Jesus going there, especially last week. Okay, this is what I got last week. Great sermon, pastor. Brought a friend. Don't think they'll come back. Okay, listen. That you got to imagine, and I think I quite possibly will be schizophrenic in 20 years. Let me tell you why. Someone will announce to me, we're having a baby. Yay! I will turn. <gasps> My dog just died. <gasps> I will turn. Guess what? They graduated. I will turn. My son didn't make it. Like, I mean, it just goes from emotion to emotion to emotion. I'm like smiling. I'm laughing. I'm crying. I don't know what emotion to have, Right? I understand the challenge of dismissing the crowd. But this challenge, no, they were whispering to him, we need to make him king. We we need to make him king. And Jesus knew they couldn't handle it, so he gets them out of there, and he dismisses the crowd. Now, this is after over 48 hours of ministry. Jesus lovingly dismisses every single person in the crowd. Jesus, he has to send his disciples because he's got to teach them something. You see, they're thinking the wrong way again. Well, maybe he should be king, and maybe I should be the chief finance minister, and maybe I should be the viceroy. And they're not thinking spiritually. They're thinking physically. They're thinking, well, Jesus just provided food for 5,000 people. Of course he's a king. Of course people will follow after him. They're thinking provision while Jesus is sending them to a storm, thinking protection. I've got to change the way you think because let me explain something. 
Just like you're going out on this boat on your own. I'm leaving you. You don't realize that. You think I'm going to Jerusalem to establish a kingdom. That's the wrong way to think. I'm going to be gone now for 2,000 years. And this boat ride is not only the disciples' story. He's preparing you and I. Because he's not physically present with us. And in Acts chapter 4, we get their first boat ride experience. Oh, you remember, they feed them the word of God in Acts chapter 4, and 5,000 people come to Christ, just like the feeding of the 5,000. And then right after 5,000 come, and they experience this great revival, persecution like they've never known hits them. The storm arises. You see, Jesus has got to teach them a powerful lesson, and I want you to write it down. Jesus knows how to minister to us. He knows exactly what we need. He knows what we need to learn. He even knows how we will learn the lesson. He knows exactly the objectives to give, and he knows exactly the lesson plan that will teach you those uh, uh, objectives. And for the disciples... For the disciples it was, I'm sending you to a storm. Now for some of us that rubs us the wrong way because we're in a storm. For some of us, we don't, we don't like this story, and especially now that I'm telling you that Jesus knew there was going to be a storm and sent them to it because you're in the midst of your storm. Now here, let me, let me kind of turn the tide just a little bit. Three to four times a week, I go to the gym. And three to four times a week, I go to the gym... I suffer my, don't laugh. I don't know why you're laughing. I do go to the gym. I mean, I know I might not look like I do, but I promise I do. I eat a lot. That's why I go to the gym, okay? So here's the deal. I really like chocolate cake. You know what I did for Father's Day? I went to Susie Cakes and bought myself a chocolate cake for Father's Day. Okay, that's what I did, all right? So here's the deal. I have to go to the gym four to five times a week, okay? So I go to the gym. I suffer my body. I suffer. I put my own body through a storm. And let me tell you why I put my body through a storm. I want to be physically in shape. Some of you will go walking for hours. You'll suffer your body. Some of you will lift 300 pounds. You want to suffer your body because you want to be in physical shape. Some of us will do anything and everything from the way we eat to the way that we live our lives, suffering our flesh because we want to be in shape. Jesus, he's willing to do the same because he wants you to be in spiritual shape. He's willing to put us through a storm because whatever it takes to get the message across, he's willing to do it. Now, the mature Peter, the mature Peter, he understood this. Uh, You can stay in that area of Scripture. I'm going to turn, you can write in your notes, to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Like I said, you can stay where you're at. I'll read it for you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Remember what I said. The mature Peter, he got it. Listen to this, verse 10. He says this. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see, when we walk through storms, we're not easily shaken when, well, if you go through a Cat 5 hurricane, let me tell you something, Cat 1 cat one hurricanes, you don't even put your shutters up. 
because you've been through a cat five. When you've been through a traumatic experience, sometimes even judgmentally, we'll look at other people that are walking through maybe a minimal experience in their mind, but they're freaking out, and we're wondering why this doesn't freak me out. Well, the truth of a storm is after you've gone through one, Peter points out and says, you'll be settled. You'll be established. Things won't get to you as much as they used to get to you because God knows how to teach you. He knows how to minister to us. Number two, I want you to write it down. Would you look with me at Mark chapter 6? Mark chapter 6, verse 46. Mark chapter 6, verse 46. And after he had taken leave of them, he went on the mountain to pray. Now, John doesn't tell us that. Mark fills us in. And when the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Stop there for a moment. I want you to write it down. Jesus prays for us in our storms. Jesus prays for us in our storms. Now, none of the disciples are with Jesus. None of them are with him. He's on the land by himself. So in other words, he tells them this story from his perspective later. Maybe when they landed at Capernaum, he said, let me tell you what I was doing while you guys were out in the water. And he says to them, I was watching you. I got, now, I got to give it to the disciples. I got to give it to the disciples. Um, Matthew's gospel, when we get there in Matthew 14, Matthew's gospel tells us that the wind was beating the boat. It's the same word that's used in the first storm, that the boat is falling apart. Now, in the first storm, the disciples are freaking out. And remember, they go to Jesus, don't you care that we're about to die, right? In this storm, a little different disciple. They've already been through a storm. They're a little settled. They're a little strengthened. They're a little established. And no longer are they freaking out. Oh, no. They are rowing this boat three to four miles into the headwind because Jesus told them to. Jesus told them, get to the other side. And the first storm has now settled them to where they are willing to keep rowing despite how long they've been rowing for three to four miles? Let me explain. In, the, in John's gospel, it says in the evening. In Mark's gospel, it says in the evening, but it's a different word. It's a different word when Jesus comes to them because it's a different time of night. The first evening is when the sun goes down. But the second evening is around 3 to 6 in the morning. They were rowing for somewhere between 6 to 8 hours, and they kept rowing, and they kept rowing, and they kept rowing. And I don't know about you, but there's a question that this begs me to ask myself. How long will I be obedient to the Word of God despite the storm that I'm going through? Because it's so easy to quit. It's so easy to quit. I like comfort. But the only comfort that we should find is the story that Jesus is telling them. He says, I'm watching over you. He said, I was praying for you. I was seeing the whole experience. I was watching you go through it. And even though I was not physically present with you, I want you to learn this lesson. Le lesson. I I'm praying for you, and I'm watching over you. It's amazing to me 
But sometimes God does not relieve us of storms. He just uses them for our benefit. Sometimes he doesn't relieve us of them. And there he is watching them go through the storm. They're rowing for six to eight hours, and he knows exactly when to come. He knows exactly. But I'm in my storm, and I'm rowing, and I'm rowing. I'm like, come on, this is enough. And he's watching, and he's praying. Peter would learn this lesson in Luke 22. In Luke 22, Jesus walks up to Peter, and he says, Peter, I got some news for you. Satan has asked to sift you, but I am praying for you. Now, I don't know what that does to you. But when I hear those words to Peter and I think through my storm that my Savior is praying for me, if Jesus is praying for me, how much more should we be praying for each other? If Jesus is praying for me, how much more should I be praying for myself, especially in the midst of trials? And when he's praying over me and when he's watching over me, write it down, it's number three, Jesus comforts us. He comforts us. Would you look at Mark chapter 6, verse 48? I'm going to start in the middle. And about the fourth watch of the night, that's somewhere between 3 to 6 a.m., he came to them. Underline that. He came to them. Walking on the sea, he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart. It's I. Don't be afraid. Jesus comforts us. This is a transforming truth about Jesus. Here it is. He's always with us. He'll always come to us in the midst of trial. And let me tell you why. It's Psalm chapter 34, verse 18. God is close to the brokenhearted. Listen to this scripture in Psalm 107. He says, he will always lead you into safe harbors. Listen to this, Isaiah 41, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, then I don't get it. I don't get it. What, what, what's this scripture? He meant to pass by them. Um, Jesus, are you kidding? Are you just going to see us out here and you're just going to keep walking? I mean, Peter thought it was so important to let Mark know to write that down. He said, you need to put down there that Jesus is going to walk right by. What, what was Jesus thinking? Do you see what we're going through? It's been almost eight hours. You finally decide to come. It's the fourth watch of night. Where have you been? The wind is against us. Are you ignoring us? And how often do I feel this way? How often do I feel I'm praying, God, deliver, God, deliver, God, deliver? How often do I feel in the midst of my storm and rowing, are you ignoring me? Are you just passing me by? Don't you know what I'm walking through? Why won't you respond the way that I think you should? And why won't you come when I think is the right time for you to come? And do you know that this wind is killing me? And is it quite possible that the wind is simply a reminder in our face to keep rowing and to keep praying and to keep trusting? Because remember, the disciples are in the midst of a test. Jesus had no intention to pass them by. No intention to pass them by. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And though it may feel he's passing by, he had no intention to pass them by. 
He will lead us into safe harbors, Psalm 107. He had no intention to pass them by. The Bible says he's with us, Emmanuel. He had no intention to pass them by. And are we willing in the midst of trial, instead of operating in fear, to trust him by faith as he's spoken his word to us? I will not leave you. I'm watching over you. I am praying for you. You see, what happens with fear, it begins to fog our vision. Fear begins to clog our feelings. In fact, when Jesus was coming by, so clogged and so fogged were the disciples, they didn't even recognize him. They thought he was a ghost. Now, I don't know about you. This would freak me out if I see a guy. I've never seen a guy walk on the water before. I was in Israel a couple years ago, and um, one, when we crossed the Sea of Galilee, uh, the guy, the captain told me that there was a pastor that was there, and he actually encouraged his entire boat to jump out of the water and experience what it was to walk on the water. People jumped over, and they started drowning. So if you go to the Sea of Galilee with me, don't jump. I ain't Jesus. Amen? They really did jump. And you know who didn't jump? The pastor. <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. At least I'm willing to admit I ain't jumping, right? Unless Jesus shows up at the Sea of Galilee with us and tells me to come, I'm in the boat with you. Amen? Amen. But this would freak me out. They start screaming. The Bible says they start crying out. The trial goes from bad to worse because now they think they're seeing ghosts. They think they're on their way to glory. They think they're about to die. The Jewish belief was when you start seeing ghosts, you're on your way. So now this trial has gone from bad to worse. They think he's a ghost, and I love Jesus. He comforts them, and let me tell you how he comforts them. He looks at them, and he says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Look at your friend and say, it is I. Do not be afraid. Say that to your friend. Listen carefully. It is I, do not be afraid. Now I need you to note something. He doesn't end the storm. He doesn't end the storm. All he does is offer them his word. That's it. And now they have a choice, like you and I, because that's what we have. We have his word. We have a choice. Will we gain the peace that he says, I'm praying with you. I'm watching you. I will never leave you. Will we gain the peace in our hearts, though the storm may rage, when we hear, say it together, it is I, do not be afraid. The storm may continue to rage. Is his presence enough for us? He wants to comfort us. And he wants to comfort us with his presence and his word. Finally, I want you to go with me to Matthew's Gospel as we continue the story. I ask you to keep your finger in Matthew chapter 14. You can write down the point, Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is faithful to us in the midst of storms. Jesus is faithful to us in the midst of storms. Would you look at with me, Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. We pick up from the story, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, 
Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. What a moment. What a moment. The storm has driven Peter to Jesus. The storm has driven Peter to prayer. We are watching Peter spiritually start to get it. Now, Peter's still struggling, you guys, because I think it's normal. He says to Jesus, if it's you. He's still got this wrestle of faith. He's still freaking out a little bit. He's still wondering, God, are you in the midst of this storm? And he says, if it's you, I find myself in the midst of storm doing this all the time. What did I do wrong? Why did I get this? Why do I have to pay this price? Where is Jesus? Are you even in this? Because it doesn't feel great. My vision gets fogged. And my emotions begin to get clogged. And here they are, you guys. They have been rowing and rowing for six to eight hours. And they're trying to get through this storm on their own accomplishments. And they're trying to prove we can be obedient to Jesus. We can be obedient to Jesus. We're not going to freak out. We're not going to freak out. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. But Peter gets it. Peter gets it. Peter is the only disciple that cries out to the Lord. I can't row anymore. I am freaking out. This storm is killing me. But I see you. And I need you. Maybe Peter is an example for all of us. That in our desperate moment, whether the wind is in our face, or we've been walking through a trial forever. It's our moment, like Peter, to cry out, if it's you. Look, Jesus knows doubt is going to be a part of our experience. He knows it, if it's you. And as with Peter, Jesus is going to use our doubt to prove himself faithful. Remember what he said, you guys. His word is true. He said, listen, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you know how small mustard seed is? Do you know how it's the size of a pinhead? He goes, if you just got that much faith, just that much, Lord, if it's you, look at that mustard seed of faith. He says, you can move mountain. Peter's got a mustard seed. That's all he's got, but it's faith nonetheless. And he cries out to Jesus, command me. Let me tell you what he's saying. I'm looking at you, Jesus, and I'm looking how you handle this problem. And you're walking on the very thing that's freaking me out. And I want to be like you. And I want to walk over this storm. And I don't want to freak out in this storm. I don't want to do this storm on my own. I want to come to you. And I want to walk above this storm. Jesus, command me to come to you so that I can be like you. Because the very thing that's freaking me out, you're using as a sidewalk to come closer to me. Because his word is true. I am close to the broken hearted. Peter jumps out of the boat. None of the other disciples do, and I love this about Peter, a little impetuous. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out to the Lord, save me! And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, 
Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Okay, truly, you are the Son of God. We get it. Now, I added a little bit of the ESV version. It was the Chet version, but it's kind of the heartbeat, right? What an incredible moment. Jesus used the trial to come closer to them. Peter hops out of the boat, and he's walking to Jesus. You know the story. And all of a sudden, he looks at the wind. It hits him in the face. A wave hits him, and he goes down. He goes down. And the Bible says, Lord, save me. You got it. Jesus took him to the place he wanted him to be. Jesus is the only answer. He got the lesson. And he brought him to the place on his knees in prayer. Lord, help me. And the Bible says Jesus let him drown. Now some of you go, wait, I don't think the Bible says that. I brought a friend. That's not the right story. Get back, Chet. Now some of you want me to read that. Because you think, because of your doubt, Jesus is out to get you, and that's why you're going through, you're still going through your storm. And maybe the lesson is the storm is just there because we need to cry out. He didn't let him drown. As soon as he cried out, the Bible says immediately. He's not mad at him. He's not frustrated with him. He's not worried about his doubt. He's going to teach him. He's going to say to him, you got little faith. we got to work on it. But he's not mad at him. He's not upset with him. Immediately, he pulls his hand in there, and he pulls Peter up out of the water. They get into the boat because all Jesus was doing was teaching the disciples in the midst of a storm, beckon me in prayer. If you won't get on your knees, I'm going to let you drop below the surface of the water. Church, they then worshiped him. Because prayer is worship. Now John tells us once they got in the boat, once they got in the boat, the water ceased. The waters calmed down, and immediately they were on the other side. Once Jesus, once they had invited Jesus into the situation, they got exactly where they needed to go. Once they cried out, Jesus is the answer. Once they prayed, Jesus, you can help us. They were immediately where they needed to be. The amazing thing about the ministry of Jesus is that he'll do anything to take us to the place of prayer so that he can accomplish his work in us. So that's what we're going to do. Today's Father's Day. Jesus, he taught us one of the most important lessons. He said this, when you pray, say, our Father. And we're going to honor our Father today. It's his day. And we're going to praise him for him. Now, a little out of the ordinary, you guys, I've ended, listen, 25 minutes early. Surprise. Even the staff are freaking out right now. They're in the midst of their storm going, what do we do? (laughs) And we're going to pray. And we're going to pray together as a church. And we're going to get on our knees before we sink to the water 
And we're just going to say, Lord, help us. We're your church. We're your body. We're going to pray. Would you pray with me? Thank you.